You're listening to the Deep in the Tank podcast with Chris Kidwell and Sam Glover. Sam, over the weekend, our president signed four executive orders with regard to coronavirus relief. Um, just to very quickly go through these four executive orders, I've got CNET's uh, coverage of this pulled up, CNET.com. And to briefly mention these, the four that he signed, the first one is that he enhanced unemployment benefits with a catch. Uh, I believe the $600 weekly provided by the federal government per unemployed person uh, was set to expire or had expired or something to that effect. Yeah, July 31st. Um, July 31st. It had been, ex- uh, it ended up being extended, sort of. Uh, Trump's allowance is $400 a week, and the federal government uh, is going to provide 300 of that 400 per week per person. Uh, I, I want to get back to the specifics of these in just a moment, but for now, I um, it's worth noting, functionally, that's $300 a week, not $400 a week, because if the federal government's only paying for 75% of it, then they're only paying for 75% of it. Um, the second one uh, is the there's more protections for um, for mortgages and renters. Uh, it's not exactly clear what this is going to look like. Uh, just the expectation is that Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin, and HUD Secretary Ben Carson are going to work together to figure out exactly what this is going to look like. Um, but basically protections against people uh, who would lose their homes in theory because of coronavirus in practice for whatever reason right now. Um, that's the second one. Uh, the third one is a continuation of the student loan payment deferral. Uh, I am currently enjoying the benefit of that. I'm thankful for that particular <laughs> one. Um, it was set to expire at the end of next month. Now it, now it extends through the end of the year. Um, the, these are just public loans, though. Uh, private loans are not exempt uh, from this or not exempt because of this. Um, Trump also mentioned potentially... Uh, Continuing on this last one uh, that we'll mention for a longer period of time, and that is the the payroll tax cut. Uh, there had been a payroll tax holiday. Um, it was a deferral uh, earlier, but looking at this, um, Trump's memorandum covers a four-month period from September 1st, 2020 through December 1st, 2020 for people earning less than $100,000 a year or less than $4,000 every two weeks pre-tax. Um, and so the language specifies that Mnuchin, Treasury Secretary, uh, can exercise his authority to, quote, defer the withholding deposit and payment of the tax uh, Mnuchin is authorized to extend this deferral for as much as one year per that same code. So, uh, before we talk about other people's responses to these four executive orders, because that's worth talking about by itself, uh, what are your thoughts on the executive orders just on the face of it? Uh, my only major issue is the deferral of the payroll tax because that language leaves open the idea that those taxes will still have to be collected eventually, Mm -hmm. which just means it's not that we're getting relief now. It's that we're getting relief now, but we're going to have to pay for that later. Mm -hmm. And that could create a greater problem because uh, I'll illustrate it very quickly with a parable. Many moons ago, The very first time I paid taxes because I was finally making enough for the federal government to be willing to kill me over it, uh, I went to an accountant uh, that we both know who I won't name because I don't want him being associated with me, a rabid anarchist, any more than he has to be. 
and you know gave him all my information that he needed you know all the paperwork every every bit of information that was needed to get everything sorted out and figured out and i found out because of the unique uh part the unique circumstances of my employment that i owed the federal government twelve hundred dollars and i had four months to save that up now here's the thing one i was really bad at budgeting at the time i wouldn't say i'm great at it now but i am getting better uh the point of reference for that being that when i run my card at a gas station to buy gas I don't worry about it declining because I don't have at least $90 in my account anymore. But then it was, oh no, how am I going to save up $1,200? And also, why didn't I start paying on this sooner? That would have been alleviated if I had been paying on it the way I was supposed to, but I didn't know. And so a lot of people they're going to be caught off guard by this and come next tax season, if they have to pay it back this tax season, they're going to be surprised when they get a bill from the IRS saying, you owe us this much or this much because your payroll taxes weren't collected during this period. So you have to pay up on that now. Now, on the bright side, hopefully that'll get a lot more people wondering, why do we send these people money anyway? But I don't know that that's going to be outweighed by the people who have to sit there and nearly tear their hair out figuring out how I'm going to pay this. I wasn't expecting this. Yeah, um, I was in the I was in a similar situation uh, as you probably six ish years ago. I think it's the six or seven years ago. It's the first time I paid income tax uh, in, independent of my parents. That is. Um, and you know, it's, it's sort of stunning when you get that bill for the first time. Uh, of course we both come from, uh, professions where, or a profession rather where, um, the, the income tax isn't automatically with, uh, withheld isn't automatically detu- deducted from your check. And so you're left to figure these things out sort of on your own. Um, you know, it, when I saw this, I saw the press conference and Trump also mentioned uh, potentially uh, having it go through, go beyond the end of this year in the next year and in, and then potentially just forgiving it, which would be just a huge thing. He floated that idea out there, but he also floated that idea out there in connection with him being reelected in November. And so we'll, we'll see what ends up happening. Um. You know, I, I looked at these executive orders and at first I thought, oh, the president's acting like a king because I'm never a fan, really, of executive orders. Um, we got a lot of that in the Obama administration. We've had a little bit of that in the Trump administration. But then you realize if what I they are. may interject. Go ahead. To quote uh, the, the form, well, not the former 45th president, that verbiage implies that he died and he hasn't. Yeah. But to quote uh, uh, our uh, drone strike commander in chief, I've got a pen and I've got a phone. So uh, my terrible impression of him aside, I want to say Obama actually in the modern era had the most, signed the most executive orders out of any president. I could be mistaken on that though. And he doesn't like completely outstrip anyone like, Modern like presidents since Lincoln have really used executive orders and just really ramped that up, but Obama, especially during the his second term when he didn't have anything left to lose, basically like he was there for four years unless he got impeached, which I want to say there was talk of at some point. I don't think that sure, it really went sure there was, but uh, point being with Trump, it's not anything new. What is new is Democrats throwing hissy fits about it because, well, it's okay when we do it, and Republicans are going to be okay with Trump doing it, and then they're going to be mad when the next Democrat does it. It's the vicious cycle of rules for thee, but not for me. Right. You know, and, and I looked at these, and at first I got upset because I'm not really a fan of executive orders anyway. 
And then I realized, wait a second. If he's going to, excuse me, issue an executive order, this is probably the thing I'm most okay with. Um, you know, the, the unemployment benefits are probably the least appetizing bit of that, but um, that's only because it involves government spending. Uh, whereas everything else, um, the, the protections, the foreclosure and rental protections um, are interesting too, because we're not exactly sure what that's going to look like yet. But the deferral and the tax cut, uh, that's just the government effectively saying, um, Hey, we're not going to, uh, we're not going to collect money right now. Um, and with the student loans, my understanding is they're not accruing interest right now either. Um, and you've got the option, I think, to defer the principal for right now. I'm, I'm not exactly sure what it is. Um, I should know more about the specifics because I'm enjoying the benefit, but I, I don't right now. But I, I, I'm looking at this and it, it seems basically like uh, the executive branch of which Trump is leader uh, is basically saying in most cases with these four orders, we're not going to do the thing that we're authorized to do right now. Uh, this is not overreach so much as it is almost the opposite, right? We're going to limit our own uh, ability. Now, that's going to make a bunch of people mad because if the government's not taking in money, then it's got less money to spend in theory. But it's... Uh, I, I, I'm less upset about this than I was when I initially heard the headline or read the headline, Trump signs four executive orders. Um, and so I'll be curious to see what some of these things shake out to actually be. Uh, that payroll tax one is, as you've mentioned, it, it will be interesting to see uh, if it's deferred and you know deferred without penalty, of course, is you know the key here. Uh, or if there is some sort of forgiveness uh, uh, in line with the, uh, not quite the same, of course, but similar to the uh, payment protection plan uh, or payment protection program, where if you met certain criteria, then the money you received from that was forgiven. Um, I, I'm less upset about these four particular executive orders that, uh, than I was when I first heard of them. I was, uh, I was pleasantly surprised when I sort of got down into the nitty nitty gritty of it. Um, of course the, the reason these executive orders got signed is because Congress came out at the beginning of last week and said, we're going to get a deal done by Friday for a new stimulus bill right. and a deal didn't get done. And so president Trump basically stepped in and said, uh, this isn't getting done in the press conference. He called the Democrats ridiculous, um, which isn't unfair. No, it's, it's not. Um, I, I think he could have added some other people, uh, into that group. Uh, I think the vast majority of Congress is ridiculous. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and so now a couple of developments are coming out of this where on the one hand, Congress still needs to pass a stimulus bill because, if they're wanting to make a dent, this isn't enough. Um, you know, basically these executive orders, uh, they're not really designed to help people's lives get better so much as they are, keep them from getting worse because most of these things, uh, are just extensions of things that were included in the initial stimulus bill. And right. to be clear, I'm not, I'm not upset about those particular aspects of it. Uh, but, the reality is if they want to make a dent, then it's probably going to take either uh, a forgiveness on income tax for the year for people below a certain threshold. Uh, that would make a huge difference. Um, that $1,200 you mentioned that first time you paid taxes, uh, I, you know, I'm, I, I'm not going to speak for you. I am going to speak for me. If taxes aren't forgiven, then I'm going to pay more than that. And I'm going to pay significantly more than that in taxes this next year. Right. Um, you know, I, I know that because I've paid more than that for a little while now. I basically, since I've been in full-time ministry, uh, full-time ministry 
that's actually full-time, not an internship. Right. Um, and so I, if those are forgiven, yeah, that, that, that's actual help. And that's, uh, for our family that will do more for us than the check for this first stimulus bill did. But, um, at the same time, that's probably not what's going to happen in part because, uh, you know, Democrats cutting taxes and cutting government income is not a thing typically. And in part because, it looks nicer during election season to cut checks to people for money that you could just let them keep because, you know, as, as you hinted at, most people are pretty bad at budgeting. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I'm there too. I'm not great with it. Uh, here deep in the tank, we don't throw anyone under a bus. We haven't already thrown ourselves under. Yeah. We're still trying to figure out how to pay for the bus. Um, but, it's uh, you look at you look at that, and so they're going to have to pass something else more than likely. What I hope they do is they pass something that, uh, you know, either incorporates or flat out replaces what Trump has just done. Uh, and and I kind of think Trump hopes that happens too because, you know, the fact that he took action will help him with his base, but the fact that he you know, had to sign four executive orders kind of loses a little political capital coming into election season too. And so right. I, uh, I, I'll be interested, um, to see what the stimulus bill actually looks like. Cause I bet they get one done. I bet they get one done in the next two weeks. Uh, I would anticipate that happening alongside coronavirus case numbers spiking because of the return to school. And so we will see Um, a lot of, a lot of families got to find a way uh, for their kids to be watched during the day in areas where school isn't taking place. Kansas is all virtual. Um, And so there's that aspect of it. And then the other thing to bring up and and I'll let you have the floor with this in a second. Um, Democrats are already threatening to sue Trump. Uh, Of course they are like, and I mean, goodness, if my memory serves, Obama was threatened with lawsuits all the time, so it's not really new, and I'm sure Bush was as well. And, goodness, Lincoln arguably pushed for pardoning leaders and soldiers in the Confederacy because he didn't want to have to actually take any of them to court because, depending on who you ask, Jefferson Davis, at least, was a better lawyer than Lincoln, so he could have won the argument in a court case. But that's neither here nor there. On one level, while I tend to agree with your hesitance about executive powers, um, in fact, I I wouldn't say I tend to agree, I agree. Uh, I do think that this is a good move for two reasons. One, it, sh- it puts Trump in the position to be able to say, look, I'm trying to do something about this. And two, it forces Democrats' hands. Because Chuck Schumer has called this paltry. Uh, Pelosi has complained about it not being enough, about it being insubstantial, about it undercutting Medicare and Social Security, which is hilarious because Congress does that all the time anyway when they take money from Social Security to fund whatever else it is they want to and then never put it back. But uh, that's beside the point. But it puts him in a position where he's able to just say, I can't make these things happen. I do not have a magic wand. If you want to do something about it, get out from in front of those cameras, stop grandstanding, get into that room and hash something out. Which, by the way, I would bet dollars to donuts that the main obstacle is pork. Not the literal substance, of course, but pork. The idea of giving people, finding ways to slide some of that money over. Because here's the thing. The last bill was $3 trillion. And Mm -hmm. Americans were sent checks, depending on their situation, from $1,200 to $2,400. I ran the math. Again, assuming a population of 350 million, I'll run the numbers again. 
for three trillion dollars to be distributed amongst 350 American or 350 million Americans. Never mind that some of these are children; they're not eligible for whatever reason, whatever else. That would have been eighty-five hundred dollars, eighty actually eight thousand five hundred and seventy-one dollars and forty-two cents. Round the number down. If we had just cut a check from that three trillion dollars, mm-hmm. the fact that at most you got twenty four hundred meant that sixty one hundred of the dollars went somewhere else three hundred and fifty million times. You and know, so if they and Republicans are just as guilty of this, I'm under no illusion that Republicans are kosher in, or halal in their spending practices. They love pork just as much as anyone. But what's going to have to happen is people are going to have to put their foot down and say, if you're going to pass another stimulus bill, no pork. Do not dare send a single red cent to anyone or anything that is not an American citizen or resident that needs financial relief. Do not send it to companies. Do not send it to institutions. Do not give it to nonprofits. Just cut checks, send them to people, whether that's direct deposit, uh, bank card, whatever. Put money in people's hands instead of this malarkey of, well, we're going to do this, but we're also going to give $20 million to this art exhibit, and we're going to give $500 million. Just put the money in people's hands. If you're going to do stuff like this, cut out the middle people, cut out your petty little projects, that you do to curry favor with people and play politics and just put money in people's hands because that's what people need in this moment. They do mm-hmm. not need to know, well, that art exhibit in wherever is not going to go out of business. They don't care. Yeah, the Kennedy They're worried Center. about putting food on the table. And the Kennedy, Kennedy Center get like $25 million last time? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Th- thank you. That's what I was referring to. I can, it's a Kennedy Center for the arts, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. I'm glad I didn't just invent that under my skull then. But yeah. It's uh you know the the current public discourse on this of course is that the Democrats are fighting to increase the unemployment benefit by $200 a week uh, back to 600 where it was. Um which you know I I'm not I'm not privy to the research as to whether or not that two hundred dollars makes it makes a significant difference um, on a broad basis, I, I'm sure for people receiving it, for many people it would. Um, well, but if I may it, interject, go ahead. Four hundred dollars a week is roughly twenty one thousand dollars a year. Mm-hmm. Six hundred a week is thirty one thousand. Right. So I'm pretty sure that's a different tax bracket, even. I could well, be mistaken. It, so it, it's a substantial difference for a lot of reasons. Right. I And I understand it from that perspective. Right. Um, what I mean, what I'm getting at is, is that $200 a week going to make the difference as far as either lifting someone out of poverty or uh, make the difference as far as in a family situation where you may only have one person who's actually eligible for it. You know, if, uh, if you've got a married family of five, you got a family of five and the, the father's the only one that works. Um, you know, that, that unemployment, I'm not sure that $200 is enough to make a difference. I understand that. I understand that it's a, let me rephrase it. It might be enough to make a difference. Um, I don't know if it's enough to make enough of a difference in that right, situation right. Uh, is what I'm getting at. And so, um, but that's the thing is they're holding, they're holding the situation hostage over that $200 publicly, uh, privately. Like you said, I, I think there is a lot of pork trying to be hashed out with this. And Trump basically said the first one that was passed, he, you know, he was asked point blank about the Kennedy center and he gave kind of an honest answer there. Um, which, you know, I appreciate when any politician does that. And he said, look, we had to do that to get get the deal done you know it's uh it's something that the democrats wanted he said that explicitly it's something they wanted um and you know we we had to do that to get it done um like you said probably shouldn't do that again um you know it's something where 
that that money getting in the accounts of Americans, which by the way, you still have people who are eligible for the first wave that haven't received their money. Right, which is wild. Yep. It's uh it's insane. They said they said as much as twenty weeks, and I believe we're about to hit that threshold. Uh we're next week marks five months uh since everything went on lockdown. Um right. actually it's later this week. Um yeah, because it started like March twentieth. The last the last Sunday service I went to in March, uh, I was guest speaking in Moore on my birthday on March fifteenth. Um, that Tuesday, the congregation I preach at in Bridge Creek was having discussions about what we were going to do moving forward. Because and by that Thursday, we had elected to cancel Sunday services until further notice. And so. You know, it's that's wild because the people who are getting the money are the people who are likely most in need of the money. You know, they they uh, that's not always true. There are some uh, strange cases where people who would be in a higher tax bracket who would not get the full amount uh, end up needing the money. Um, You know, divorces could be a reason for that, for instance. Uh, Child support, child care could be a reason for that for instance. Um, but by and large, the people who would have received that money are the people who are most in need of it. And yet you've got people who, you know, nearly five months on the other side of the beginning of all this and about four and a half months to be fair, uh, on the other side of them passing the stimulus bill don't have it. Um, you know, now one of the things that's been floated around with this, and we'll see if it's a part of the discourse this week, is that this bill is going to be designed to get people spending, you know, that uh, the, the first bill was designed to get people sort of over the hump and that this bill would be designed to get people spending in the economy a little bit more, which I can appreciate that sort of approach. Um, But if that's your approach, then one way to do that would be to stop taking 25 to 40% of people's checks that, that would be a good way to do it. Um, and I, I think the more and more I look at this situation, uh, the more and more I think that having a payroll tax holiday that is forgiven, not just deferred, until uh, next year is, is the best approach to this. Um, short-term giving people money is going to be helpful. Um, Kelsey and I, uh, you know, we, we would probably do something similar to what we did last time where we pay off a little bit of debt and then we either spend or save the rest of it. Um, you know, that would be the most responsible thing for us to do. Uh, there's a few things that we would probably get that we've been wanting for a while. And, uh, we would also be able to take care of, uh, take care of some debt. Um, but, but whatever it is, it, like you said, it, it, it needs to get done. Um, and if it's full of pork, um, then, you know, 25 million, um, just, just the Kennedy center by itself, uh, $25 million. Um, I mean, how many towns and cities worth of people could you fund, uh, with what would be a typical stimulus check at this point, uh, fund directly with that money. Right. I realize. Even, 20, go ahead. Uh, no, 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 go ahead. I interrupt. I've interrupted you several times. Go ahead. I was going to say, I realize that you're, you know, 25 divided by 350 million is going to be, you know, less than a buck per person. Um, but you know, looking at it in a different way, how many more people could you include, uh, in the stimulus bill? If you, if you simply didn't pay that one particular bit of pork, like it's the, the pork is disheartening, not because they're funding things that may or may not be important because, you know, I, I'm some of what, what might be pork for one person might be job security for another. I'm not saying that to justify it, just to realize that 
you know, there, there are people who benefit that aren't politicians from pork. Um, but at the same time, you could just give them the money. Like it's, it, it's something where they have an opportunity to, with this stimulus bill, if they spend the same amount of money, uh, but they gave it all to people, they, they get people through the end of the year, which should be the goal with whatever they pass. Right. Or even put another way, like the number I threw out of 8,500. Imagine if at the start of this lockdown, a guy was furloughed and just completely just down on his luck. Suddenly, $8,500 hits his bank account. Do you know what he can do with that? He can buy a car, not a new car, but a reliable, perfectly adequate car, especially for like a single, never married in his 20s. And he can use that car to drive to an essential job. He can apply somewhere and he can finally check, yes, I have reliable transportation. Mm -hmm. And he can get hired and he can work an essential job. He can keep making money and he can keep himself going. And he can be a part of something that keeps a company going, which in turn keeps other people going. It keeps different parts of where he is going. It puts money in his pocket so he can spend it as he sees fit. Just cumulative benefits. That's just one example. Or goodness, even if he already has a car, but he's behind on payments. That 8500 means he can just put that in the bank and he doesn't have to think about his car payments for a few months. Mm-hmm. Several months, in fact, usually. And well, so and- that's something that he doesn't have to worry about. So that that's a great morale boost either way. And that's just well, looking at it from the idea of a single, never married guy trying to figure out just getting a job. I, I'll, I'll be point blank, Sam. Uh, Kelsey and I rent a house right now. Yeah. Um, we've rented the same house for a little over four years now. Uh, we, you know, we're thankful for it. It's sure. a little, it, it's, it was fine when we got it. It's getting a little small now that we've got two growing boys. Yeah. We also have three dogs who live in this house. And so, you know, it, uh, it's it's starting to feel a little small uh but eighty five hundred dollars and if that's even if that's just for the both of us let alone that you know if if we're distributing equally among americans that's 40 grand for our family um if but 40 80, grand, that's a down payment <laughs> on a house well, and a car eighty five hundred's a down payment on a house Yep. Is what I'm getting at. Oh yeah, definitely. like we, we, or we buy even, a house. Yeah. Uh, we buy a house under the FHA loan program with that kind of money. We buy yeah. a house under the FHA loan program probably with half that much money. Yeah. It's it's close at that point, but you know, typically you need three to three and a half percent interest or three and a, three to three and a half percent down for an FHA loan. Yeah. Uh, so on a one hundred fifty thousand dollar house, three percent's forty five hundred. Um, right. You know, I mean. Uh, that's putting aside for a second, the fact that you can buy, uh, with another loan program, uh, via the government, um, or reimbursed by the government or backed by the government, if you will, um, via another loan program. If you live in a rural area, you can buy a house 0% down. Um, you know, it, it, it's something that you look at and you go, if they do that, I mean, what? What does, what does all of a sudden, you know, I'm not going to say an entire generation of people, but maybe 5%, let, let's, and, and that number might be high, but let's say 5% of people who get that money in our generation, uh, you know, the young end of millennials, if you will, get that money and they say, you know what, we're going to go buy a house. What does that do for the economy, you think? Short term. Um, Major stimulation. It's major stimulation and long-term it keeps people in a given area as opposed to just simply having to uh, chase jobs, which chasing jobs isn't necessarily bad economically speaking. Um, But, you know, you want to talk about down on your luck, buying a house. There's that sense of pride, sense of accomplishment uh, in doing. There's the sense of progress. Yeah. I mean, buying a house is something of a rite of passage in our society. Absolutely. The first time you do it, it's a big deal. Um, and 
you know, I now granted it's going to cause house prices, real estate property to go up, but that's also good. Um, you know, if people are able to actually buy. Uh, and so if people are able to buy and prices go up and people are still able to buy, that's fine. And that even incentivizes people that perhaps want to go into real estate. You know, there's, there's that, um, that that's the thing they've got a chance. And, and to be clear, I'm not real happy about the idea of the government spending period, like but that. if they're going to do something, do something that makes sense, do something that accomplishes the things that you want to accomplish. Um, you know, it, it's part of the reason with Trump's things with the executive orders he signed, I'm, I'm not really all that upset because while only a few of those things are going to apply directly to myself, um, you know, they still apply, right? Right. Um, the student loan deferral right now is great. Um, it is just great. Uh, you know, we're able to, uh, we're able to sort of get a few things for, for Kelsey, for instance, for her classroom. Not, not a ton, but we're able to make a little dent in that, that we wouldn't otherwise be able to do, especially in a world where all, all the, the supply game at school has changed dramatically. Uh, for teachers in part because individual kids have to have their own individual supplies. There's no, you know, you're not sharing your scissors with two or three other people. Um, And so, you know, stuff like that is, uh, is helpful. Um, I, they have an opportunity to do some good. And even if it's negatively motivated because orange man, bad uh, members of Congress, even if it's out of genuine hatred for the president, Members of Congress have an opportunity to make a huge difference as long as they don't fill it with pork. Um, you know, it, it's something where if they get this right, I, I, I'm i starting to think the election is going to be won or lost uh, for either party. And I mean that comprehensively, not just in the presidency, right. uh, on the back of what's going to happen in the next two to three weeks. Um, you know, if, uh, if, depending on what the stimulus bill looks like, depending on what going back to school looks like in different states, which have different responses and depending on, um, you know, depending on what actually gets done versus the rhetoric that's offered. Um, I, I really think this is the critical time in part because, uh, people are going to start paying attention in light of, you know, the beginning of November. Uh, that that wasn't necessarily true back in March, but it's true now, uh, where these things are being viewed through an election lens. Um, of course, right alongside all that is you know depending on what happens if Democrats actually sue the president, which I'm not convinced is going to happen if they push through a stimulus bill. But you know it, it's something that uh, it's worth monitoring. Um, Obviously, I wouldn't mind a little extra money in my account, uh, but I also don't want uh, for every dollar that goes into my account, four dollars to go into pork spending. Right. And, and that's really the thing. Like I, I just anytime I see spending like that, it just irritates me because I'm expected to fork over money at gunpoint to just be handed over to people that don't need it and i'm not even talking about welfare or anything like that like that is a whole other dis- discussion it just it it deeply bothers me that i and over a hundred million other people are held at gunpoint and forced to give away our money so that it can be turned around and put into the pockets of not even people of of groups of like the Kennedy Center thing. That's the one that always just sticks out to me because it's like they didn't need that. And so if you're going to steal from me, at least do something worthwhile with the money you're stealing. It doesn't change the fact that you're stealing from me and I would still want you prosecuted and I would want my money back. But at least I could look at you and think, well, at least you're not a total scumbag. I want to, I want to offer a little nuance, uh, to something you said as far as giving it to the Kennedy center. Um, as much as I agree with the idea that giving the Kennedy center millions of dollars is not 
um, not ideal uh, and is, I'm going to use your favorite word again, problematic. Uh, I also believe that uh, the Kennedy Center should have gotten some money and that, you know, state parks should have gotten some money, but only because of how these things end up needing to be worded. Uh, because, you know, with regard to some of these institutions and some of these, uh, some of these properties, their federal properties, their employees are for better or for worse, federal employees. Um, and so it may be that, you know, some of that money, and I'm not exactly sure how that was, uh, delineated in the bill itself. I'm not sure. sure anyone outside of Congress and most people in Congress know the specific delineations of the bill. But, um, you know, some of that is going to be reserved for, you know, payment protection for those employees. I am relatively speaking, I am fine with that, but only that, you know, especially in a time where and in fairness, I do where the Kennedy center needs Go ahead. to, I keep uh, interrupting you. Oh, you're good. Where, where the Kennedy center, you know, who, who's going there right now? What events are taking place there right now? Um, you know, not many. We're going to try and have movies again in like a week and a half. We'll see how well that goes. Um, but I mean, these, these big, the, the, the problem with the pork right now isn't just that it's pork. It's that it's pork. That's just going to sit there. It, it's, you know, $25 million to the Kennedy center to do what exactly you're not, I mean, it'd be one thing if it's like, well, we've, you know, we've got some project we want to put on and we think it'll generate revenue and, and ultimately, you know, it'll make, find its way back to the people, that sort of thing. But $25 million to yes, pay the employees, but the rest of it just to sit there. That that's a problem. That's a huge problem. Right. And I would just push back in two ways. One, I, I do pick on the, uh, the Kennedy center thing. Just because, like, that's kind of when when you're as anti-government spending as I am, you kind of pick those easy targets. Like, uh, uh, several a few years ago, and any like Republican that wants to make a name for himself by proposing cutting spending will do this. But they'll pick out these really ridiculous things. Like, uh, I would have to double check, but I believe an eighty thousand dollar grant was uh, given to a research team to study the effects of cocaine on the mating habits of quails. And I believe. Like, uh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But uh, actually, go ahead. If you have a correction or addendum to that for actually uh, getting it so right. So Rand Paul, uh, every year for Festivus, comes out and he airs his grievances. Uh, and specifically does this on Twitter uh, right. by, you know, note, noting the most ridiculous forms of government spending that have taken place in the past year. And I became aware of what you're talking about through his Twitter feed. Uh, he is a he's a great follow on Twitter. Oh, yeah. No, I, I love Rand. I I tend to line up with his dad more. Uh, just Grandpa Same, Ron sure. forever in our hearts. But um, anyway, uh, but so like it's easy to pick on that. But also like I I can understand in principle the idea of like a payment a paycheck protection program that sort of thing. But you also have to bear in mind that I don't think federal parks and the like should exist at all. That sort of thing should be privatized. And that's not just like oh you can flip a switch and make that happen overnight. I understand that. I don't want that. I am not a light switch anarchist, as someone might call it. But uh, so anytime I see those sorts of things, it's one of those. It's just this cascade of that shouldn't be funded by me being robbed at gunpoint. That shouldn't be owned by the government because they got it at the end of a gun. And also, if it has to survive by theft, it doesn't deserve to survive. So, but again, that is just like the the anarcho-capitalist impulse of let the markets decide, stop stealing from people and justifying it with a monopoly on violence. So uh, on one level, I do understand the idea of protecting the paychecks of those employees, but on the other hand, I don't think their job should exist. But I also think that about every government agency. 
some I'm more adamant about than others, but again, that just goes with the territory of where I'm at politically yeah. and ideologically. Yeah, I, I would probably, we're not going to do this right now. I would push back on at least a few of those, uh, but I'm with you on a general level. Sure. Um, you know, uh, also obligatory, eventually I'll say that word correctly without stuttering, obligatory mention of the fact that my father-in-law's a federal government employee and has been for a long time. He is a supervisor with OSHA. Uh, no, not OSHA, MSHA, uh, MSHA, uh, mines. And so, okay. Mines. Okay. Yeah. Mines. And so, yeah. Um, you know, it, it's something where I, I have a problem with pork spending in general and I have, I saw someone tweet the other day and you may know the specific reference. And I, I don't, I don't know um, off the top of my head who said it. And so sorry, I can't give you credit, but um, pork spending during a pandemic is the same as looting during a protest. That sounds like a Michael Malice quip. If I'm being perfectly honest, it might be. Like, it's uh, because I mean, my, Get people people look at that, that people look at the looting that's going on people look at the looting that's been taking place because of these uh be, because of police brutality and because of different well i say because of people look at the looting that is that is sort of spiraled out from some of the protests which we've we've discussed those at length but the looting that has been done in the name of fighting police brutality. Uh, and most people look at the looting and say, well, that's, that's wrong. You know, you're taking advantage of the situation um, and stealing, you know, and it's really not connected to the reason you're, you're claiming to begin with. Um, that's exactly what pork spending is in the middle of a pandemic. Pork spending is bad on its own. Looting is bad on its own, but doing it in the name of, you know, the public good or, or what have you, is even more problematic. Um, I understand that there are going to be some things that are called pork that are actually uh, that are actually helpful. As I said earlier, I think some money should go to the Kennedy Center if uh, you know the government. Uh, the government, much to the disdain of many, has employees, and those employees, uh, if people are going to be protected, those employees generally shouldn't be exempt from that protection. Uh, that would cause a whole slew of other problems. But that being said, um, those employees uh, aren't at the Kennedy Center. I'm guessing those employees aren't going to account for all $25 million of the money that was sent there. Uh, and if they do, that's another problem. But, you know, it's uh, it's. That, that's sort of where I'm at on that. Um, I hope something gets done. I think something needs to be done. Um, selfishly, I would like to see it, of course. Uh, but also the situation in a lot of states, um, you've got states that haven't really left lockdown. Some areas have, by and large. I mean, out here, you're wearing a mask basically everywhere, but you can still go do most everything you would want to do outside of watch a movie or go to a sporting event, which we're going to touch on briefly here in just a moment. But um, I think those numbers, those coronavirus numbers, at least cases and probably to a lesser extent, extent hospitalizations are going to increase as school picks back up. I don't know that deaths will. I hope they don't. Um, but the situation, Trump said it himself a couple of weeks ago in a press conference, it's going to get worse before it gets better. I don't know how much worse, but it will get worse before it gets better. So any, uh, any thoughts before we, uh, we, we move away from that. I did have one other thing I wanted to talk about briefly today. No, I think we've just about got it. All right. Well, on to the, uh, the most important news of the day, because it has to do with college football. I'm kidding. Of course. A little, but um, it Sam, it sure looks like we're not going to have a college football season. Yeah, it's kind of disappointing because I'm an SEC man myself, controversially enough. Same. And it is, and you might ask, well, why? And it's very simple. It's because the SEC is the UFC of college football. 
It's a bunch of grown men that are bigger than everybody else beating the snot out of each other, and I get a visceral joy in that. So it, it's sad to see, but uh, again, I get it. And, and colleges, uh, they they have to weigh evidence, they have to make decisions, that sort of thing. Uh, the main thing will be loss of revenue. They have to look at that and think, is this worth it? And apparently, a lot of them are making that decision. So there's been a nut, there's been a bunch of news break on this particular topic today. Um, chief of which, probably on a national scale, is that Trump came out and said, you know, college football should have a season. Uh, of course, he's going to say that college football is very popular. And like you said, it generates a lot of revenue. Um, but a few and other even bits- then, it's very sorry to interrupt, even beyond that, a sense of normalcy and stability. Yeah, that's right. People were looking forward to Saturdays in the fall again. Tennessee, up until about a week ago, was scheduled to play against OU here in Norman. I was going to go to the game. Uh, that game got canceled when the SEC went to a conference-only model, but it's uh, you know we'll we'll see we'll see what ends up happening. Um, a couple other things have happened. So it looked like for a moment that the Big Ten, which is uh, some of your Midwestern schools, but it stretches all the way from Rutgers, which is the State University of New Jersey, um, all the way over to the University of Nebraska, the Big Ten conference uh, was prepared to shut down its season. Um, at least on the conference level, and individual teams could figure out what they wanted to do. Nebraska is talking about playing in case that does happen. Um, rumor came out that they had canceled. Now they haven't actually made a decision, but it's come out that the ADs at most of the schools are prepared to cancel. Um, but then also, and I don't think this was today, I think it was over the weekend, um, uh, Trevor Lawrence, who is the quarterback at Clemson, uh, who is the presumptive number one pick in next year's NFL draft, basically came out and said and and led a unified front of players. Basically said, "Look, we want to play." And as far as the uh, as far as the health concerns go, you know, because I think people are rightfully concerned for the players' safety. Uh, you know that. Players shouldn't be put at risk just because we want to watch them smash into each other on a football field. Um, Lawrence has led a unified front of players. Uh, and Jim Harbaugh has chimed in on this particular point to Harbaugh being the head coach at the University of Michigan and said, we think we're safer uh, on the football field and in practice than we would be living our lives, whatever we would be doing away from football this year. Uh, that, we think it is healthier uh, for us to be out there because in in a lot of situations, if there's no football um, at best, they're going to go back to their dorm rooms. And in some cases they're not going to be on campus at all. And so, you know, the, you know, you, you understand there are going to be some concerns with, with travel. Uh, What do you do about fans? That sort of thing. Um, But they put out, some points that I'm, I'm not really sure uh, a lot of people had considered. I, I know at least on my end, I hadn't really thought about, you know, well, what's actually safer here? Because the, the assumption is just, well, don't do it because you put players at risk when the reality is they're going to be at risk regardless. Um, you know, they're not going to go live in a bubble. They're not going to go do that. And so what actually makes the most sense here for them, if that is the, top priority and the players at least a large swath of them seem to think playing football this fall is the answer now it's worth noting that for college sports in particular football's what's being discussed here in part because it's the only thing that matters money wise um at most universities the football program makes enough money to fund itself and all of the other programs whereas it's rare uh, that other programs at universities, even at large universities, are are solvent, let alone uh, profitable. Um, we actually run that by me one more time. So, at most major or at most universities across the country, football pays for the entire athletic program because football oh, okay. makes so much money, and hardly any other programs actually make money. And we're not talking about like. Oh, the uh, uh, the wrestling program at Directional State University, uh, you know, just came a little bit short of meeting its budget. 
we're talking like, you know, it's not clear that the baseball program at the University of Tennessee is solvent if it were left up to itself. Um, That's so interesting, especially with baseball, because I would expect baseball, basketball, and football to be the three that carry the athletic department budget, because those are the three most popular sports in America. So basically, here's, here's, here's sort of a quick breakdown of it and doing it without any hard numbers in front of me. Um, football has TV contracts that dwarf everything else. Oh this yeah. Is true no, the, that's, that's a given, the, but that's where most of the revenue comes from. Okay. And then if you want to talk about uh, ticket revenue, well, football brings in more people than the other things do. Um, and so, you know, now to be clear, your blue blood basketball programs, your UNC, Duke, Kentucky, Kansas, Indiana, programs like that, um, they're going to be solvent because, you know, they're basketball schools. Yeah, and they're that, dynasties that's, in that sport. I, I mean, that's what drives the school athletically. They're more known for those programs than their football program. And in fact, in most cases, most years, their, fo- their relative football programs are absolute garbage. But, um, yeah, the thing is, if you play, you know, in, in most cases, you're traveling to and from games, um, which by itself is, right. you know, you're going to spend at minimum thousands Expensive. of dollars uh, to make those trips. Um, and you're typically not traveling. If you're in a larger conference, you're not exactly traveling a short distance to play. I mean, I, I don't know exactly how far. Uh, the state university of New Jersey is, uh, from Nebraska, but I'm guessing it's not just a short little trip. Um, and so you're either taking an excruciatingly long, painful bus ride or, you know, in major college football, you're, you're flying. And, and so at worst you're renting out like a massive, like luxury charter bus. And so what's going to end up happening is, the question of if a school will have football this fall will dictate if a school is going to have athletics period in the fall. Right. Um, now, well, go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry, but this is, will that affect scholarships for athletes at these universities? Do you think? So in the spring, when uh, when sports were canceled, it right. didn't, and it shouldn't moving forward. Because uh, those scholarships have already been extended to players. Um, what I'm more concerned with is eligibility. Right. right. Uh, the NCAA for spring athletics did make it to where, uh, by and large, um, if you were in your senior season uh, at the school and it was interrupted by all this, then you were given an additional year of eligibility. But I don't think they extended that to everyone. Right. And so now all of a sudden, juniors and seniors from last year each have one year of eligibility remaining. Um, And so I I don't know exactly what all that's going to look like, uh, but you know, they're not, they're not going to take away uh, on a large scale basis, all these scholarships. Um, You know, the NCAA shouldn't do that. And individual schools who actually do that. I mean, you want to talk about taking a PR hit. Oh yeah. No, Uh, that would be a nightmare. Unless, yeah, like, it was just one of those, like, look, we just straight up can't, like, we will have to, we can either send y'all to school this year and then close next year, or, sorry, but yeah. beyond well, that, just, gosh, that would be a nightmare. Well, but the thing is, at that point, you understand that, you know, the players, they're not really receiving funds. Uh, they're receiving a scholarship, which, which great. Um, you know, good, they get a scholarship. Uh, but it's not like for the players, they have to budget additional spending either. Right. And right. so, you know, the, the school's going to suffer regardless without football and cutting scholarships. Those would be the very last cuts. Um, and so, you know, the, the, we'll, we'll see what ends up happening. Um, it's, I, I was, having water cooler type talks with some of the guys at our congregation yesterday. And I told him, I said, look, I think this time next week we're going to be having a discussion about the fact that there's no college football this year. I hope not. 
Um, I personally do want to see them play. Uh, I think it will. I think it would be good for everyone involved if they played, especially if it is true that the players' concerns about health, you know, the the idea that they'd be safer playing than not playing. Right. Um, if that's the case, I'm all for it. But I I don't know because I don't know that the conferences and the schools want to take on the liability of what happens if a kid gets sick because they were playing football this year. Um, that that's, I mean, and with a lot of these closures, not all of them, but with a lot of these closures and with a lot of these mandates as noble as they might seem on the surface, that that's ultimately what sort of underwrites, uh, the concern is, are we liable for this if something goes wrong? Right. And like, it's not a direct parallel, uh, chiefly because of the scale, but the UFC has still been operating. It's been somewhat truncated. But they've been able to continue operations, but that's also because like, it's just not as large and complex a thing as collegiate sports. Well, so. they're they're also in a bubble, right? They have Fight Island, right. Um, right. which professional sports can do, and at least two of them are doing. Um, you know, hockey is about to ramp up actual round one of the playoffs. We, we actually have a, the one day break in hockey that we're going to have for the next two weeks today. Uh, we're recording this on Monday, August 10th. Um, but they've got two bubble cities, one in Edmonton, one in Toronto. Um, right. Players, and, and they've got basically so many square blocks of area where players can go in Edmonton that are sort of gated off uh, and in Toronto. And outside of that, they're, they're not allowed. Otherwise, they've got to quarantine for so much time and, and they have to have like four negative tests or something. Uh, right. The NBA is doing basically the same thing, just with one bubble down at the at the Disney's worldwide of, wide world of sports down in Orlando. Um, right. MLB is struggling desperately to get through its season because it didn't do that. And uh, and it doesn't look like the NFL is going to go that direction, which, you know, if you're going to do that for like five months, that's different from doing it for two months maximum. Um, colleges functionally cannot do that. Right. Um, you know, letting alone any player concerns and any family concerns, they're there to be colleges too. Like, you know, you can make all the jokes you want, uh, about players not going to class and not really caring, but you know, they still do that. Or by and large players are going to classes. And so many you, of them you, are actually quite good students. Yes, they are. Um, you know, uh, the quarterback for Tennessee in 2016, 2017, Josh Dobbs, uh, he's still in the NFL. Uh, which is fine. He, yeah, but he, he has his degree in aerospace engineering. Yeah, that's right. There there are several engineering majors that decide to play. Yeah. Actually, and, okay, uh, fine. Like, they're almost certainly smarter than I am if they're doing engineering. Definitely, recent, at least in the realm of math. Recently retired, uh, uh, I forget the guy's name. I don't think it's Marshall Yanda. I think it's a different one. Um, but offensive lineman has like a PhD in mathematics. Like, it, I mean... You know, the, their, their education, they don't they don't get paid enough relative to the value that they provide the school. But, Absolutely. you know, that that education is a big deal. It is. And and so it's something where you're, you're not going to put them in a bubble and do that. Um, you know, and and I understand conferences wanting to you know keep it in conference and all that. But functionally, that's not going to make a difference. It's do the do the benefits of doing this, of having a season outweigh the risks and the players and many of the coaches seem to think the answer is yes. Right. Just, you know, make it happen. Trump seems to think that it's yes, but I, you know, he's more politically motivated than, uh, than your average college football player is. Right. So I'll be, I'll be curious to see what it ends up looking like. Um, I think by the time we record, uh, next week, um, I think two things will be true. Uh, I, I think we will be very close. uh, If we're not already there to having a stimulus bill. Um, Because last time it happened, uh, I think the house agreed to it 
like on a Friday night, and then it was signed the following Monday or Tuesday. And then I also think we'll have a firm answer in a college football season because OU is set to play a football game in two and a half weeks. Yeah, they kind of have to get that one figured out. Yeah, they they have to they have to know. Their opponent has to know. Um, and as someone who would consider attending the game, I, I kind of need to know too. Uh, but two and a half weeks. Um, and so I think a week from now, we have a much clearer idea of what's going to happen with the stimulus and a much clearer idea of what's going to happen in college football. Anything you want to add before we, uh, before we close it out today? No, I think that just about covers it. I mean, other than the fact that there's civil unrest all over the world, but I mean, that's a constant now. Yeah. It looks like Chicago is, um, is particularly, uh, well, problematic again, but we'll, uh, I, kind of want to save that discussion until that situation develops a little bit more i think right i think that's fair all right you've been listening to the deep in the tank podcast we'll see you next time